Thank you, Tim. Let's turn together to the book of 2 Timothy in the New Testament. And we're going to uh, conclude our, our series here in, in Timothy this morning, Fanning the Flame. We're looking at chapter 4. We're going to read verse 1 through 8. We've been looking at this uh, passage for, or, or, or this uh, letter, uh, Paul's last letter to Timothy. Um, and I'd like to, to share this, this one last message with you. I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we open our word together. And may, may we hear God's word to us this morning. Beginning with verse 1, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Paul writes, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry." For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. May God add this blessing to his word. You may be seated. A couple had been happily married for over 50 years when suddenly both of them were killed simultaneously in an automobile accident. They stood together before St. Peter at the gates of heaven and said, you know, we were married in life and we would like to be married in heaven. But Peter said, well, that is not permitted here. You've got to know that because in heaven we neither marry or are given in marriage. Well, the couple stood their ground. They said, sir, we are aware of that, but we loved each other so much here on earth. We still want to be married here in heaven. Peter thought about it for a moment. And he said, okay, I'll, I'll tell you what. I want you to take two years in heaven. Take a tour, and if you still want to get married, we'll see what we can do. Well, two years, uh, the couple comes back. They're immensely enthralled with the beauties of eternal life, but they said to Peter... We still want to be married. Peter's a little, little uh, confused here. He said, well, this is highly unusual, but wait another six months, then come back and we'll see. Six months later, they come back and they're sticking to their guns. Peter said, well, I, I don't know what to do. I, I, I got to take this matter to the top. And so the couple comes before the Lord. And wouldn't you know it, the Lord said, let's wait six weeks and then we'll see. Well, after six weeks, they still wanted to be married. And the Lord said to them, well, tell you what, you just wait two more weeks. And if we don't have a preacher up here by then, I'll do it myself. Mm. Some of you might be thinking that's, that's true there, right? Uh, I've realized today that our culture doesn't have a, a very high view of preaching today. 
Of course, that might be the result of high-profile scandals. It might be the result of the preachers who develop a reputation for preaching, but they love to, to spend money on themselves or, or find political power. It is disheartening to see pastors who say they are following a holy and loving God and yet to discover that those preachers indeed do have feet of clay. But the role of a pastor is not an easy one. Recently, I was interested to read that Forbes magazine rated the toughest leadership roles in our society. I was interested to read that a company CEO came in at number nine. A member of Congress came in at number eight. A mayor of a city was number six. And a pastor of a church was rated number five. In fact, the two hardest leadership roles were university president And the number one difficult leadership role is single parent. When I was was growing up, at least in my church and my family, the role of the pastor was somewhat revered. My mom tells the story that from the time I was able to start forming words and stand up, that I would stand at our little coffee table in our living room with a big, you know, remember we used to have those big family Bibles, and I'd open it up and I would pound the coffee table preaching about the baby Jesus and his mother Mary. The hints of a call on my life were already evident. Even today when I'm preaching, I feel like I'm doing what I was made to do. But I've noticed today that that very often young people don't aspire to become preachers. Some have suggested the the day of the organized church is past. I like to just point out that people who know our church would not exactly call us organized, so I think we're we're past that. But 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 people who who have any sense of call to ministry, more and more often they'll go into counseling or or youth work or a mission social agency. I was recently reading about the fact that there are more recreation ministry majors today than there are Bible majors in Christian colleges. Now, don't misunderstand me. Those ministries are significant and they are worthy of God's call. But I also want you to be aware that the preaching of the gospel is an important part of God's plan In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes, It pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save those that believe. God often uses things in our lives that might appear at first at least to be foolish, maybe a a little bit silly, even outdated, to reveal his power and strength. Romans 10 says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then he goes on, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? When God wants to bring his word to hear, to bear on the lives of people, he almost always uses a human agent. You you think on the day of Pentecost, The Holy Spirit could have used the wind to preach to the people, but he chose to speak through Peter. On the road to Gaza, the the Lord could have used the angel to speak to the Ethiopian eunuch. Instead, the angel sent Philip to preach the gospel to him. When Saul of Tarsus was on the road to Damascus, Jesus came and knocked him down, having seen this great light. But Jesus didn't preach to Saul. He sent Ananias. 
You see, my point is that God often works through preaching to convict the lost and edify the saved. And here in 2 Timothy, Paul admonishes a young preacher to do exactly that. Timothy, he says, preach the word. Preach the word. Now, I think Paul's charge applies to anyone who wants to share the gospel. Whether you're preaching in a pulpit, or or you lead in a Sunday school, or a small group, or you're sharing with someone across the table. Paul is looking at the end of his life. He, He chooses to close this chapter with a discussion about preaching. He has eternity in view. In fact, I love the way he describes it. He says, in view of his appearing... In view of Jesus, in view of what I know is going to happen and the glory I'm going to see, this is what I want to end with, Timothy. And of all the things he could have talked about, he chooses to discuss the ministry of preaching. You see, I think that preaching is still important. And so this morning, I thought it would be interesting for us to to actually look at the preacher's responsibility to preach, and then I want to gently turn the table and talk about our responsibility as Christians to listen. So, So let's go through this together. In this passage, I see Paul pointing out five responsibilities of the preacher. And, and, and let me just outline them very, very quickly. Well, maybe not so quickly. We'll see how quickly we go. But first, let me say to you, we should preach to please God and not people. Look at verse 3. He says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Now, I want to tell you that There's always a temptation as a preacher to say what itching ears want to hear. Nobody likes to be unpopular. Nobody likes to be opposed or criticized. And the truth is, if if a good preacher has any sense of the people, the people he serves with, he knows what people want to hear. I know I do. A couple of weeks ago, I preached a message where during the course of, of dealing with the issues at hand, I, I believe it was the right thing to do to point out and gently chastise President Trump concerning his ego. It was mild, but I knew I would get some pushback, and I did. In that message, I also reaffirmed our church's position based on Scripture concerning marriage and gender identity. And you know, over the years, I've learned that every time I discuss that issue, people will often leave our church. And believe me, that tears me up. I have to say things that are often unpopular. Now, generally speaking, people want to hear that their sins don't matter as much as their enemy's sins does. People, people want to, uh, to hear that everyone is going to heaven and that there is no hell. They want to hear sermons that will, that will boost their self-esteem. They want a God who will always agree with them. They want to hear that the Lord will be some cosmic bellhop and make them rich and healthy at their command. And so they want their God to be a Republican or a socialist 
So there is a tendency to, to kind of match the message with the crowd. There's a tendency to, to be willing to, to water it down. But Paul says, you might gather a large following, a big crowd, but that does not necessarily mean you are preaching the word. The preacher is responsible to an audience of one. And I determined a long time ago that in my preaching I was going to please God and not people. But thank you. In verse 1, Paul says, listen to this, in the presence of God and in Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead, I give you this charge. I've been uh, in a courtroom a few times over the years, and I've seen defendants accused stand before a judge. I've seen grown men cry and young men wither in those moments. As a pastor, Paul makes it clear that I'm going to stand before a judge one day, and I'm going to give an account of my preaching. And so I gently say, my goal is not to please you, but it is to please our Lord. Secondly, we are to to preach the word and not people's opinions. In Amos 8.11, the prophet says, The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine throughout the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine for hearing the words of the Lord. Do you ever wonder if maybe we are experiencing that kind of famine in our land today? You know, I I thought about this, but we are on the other side of the ministry of Billy Graham. Now, maybe some of us don't appreciate the, the perspective here, but he was a man who preached the gospel to more people than any other person in history. And millions heard the gospel and received that gospel as a result. But did you know that Billy Graham was once accused of setting the church back by 50 years when he chose to go behind the Iron Curtain and preach the gospel and showed kindness and respect to the Soviet leadership? I was interested to read about his response. He responded to the criticism of setting the church back this way. He said, I am deeply ashamed. I've been trying very hard to set the church back 2,000 years. Oh, God, set us back 2,000 years. I believe there is a famine in our land today. There are many preachers who go through seminaries, seminaries that don't believe the Bible. Our, chief, our, our, our preachers and churches are dying because we've lost confidence in the power of God to change lives. So many preachers choose to preach a, 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 a tepid, feel-good comedy act or discuss just simply the current issues of the day. And so churches, as a result, are dying of spiritual malnutrition, starving for God's word, When Jesus said, I am the bread of life, whoever comes to me will not go hungry, whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. 
That's why from time to time I really like to just go through an entire book and force myself to maybe deal with issues that I'm not quite as comfortable with. A whole wide range of issues. Early on in my ministry, a pastor told me, every time you preach, just make sure you always use a lot of Scripture because with that you know you can't go wrong. You're always going to be true if you're tethered to the book. Thirdly, it seems to me that we ought to preach, Paul says, at every opportunity. He says, not, uh, and by the way, not just when it's convenient. Verse 2, he says, be prepared in season and out of season. Now, there are a lot of different directions I could go here, but I was struck yesterday. We had the ancient word seminar going on in our church uh, yesterday morning. And as a pastor, I realized that I should be part of that. But I think I've shared with some of you, we have a a neighbor who is across the street from us. And for years, we've just kind of waved and maybe across the street, we'll, we'll, we'll talk and complain about the city or the flooding issues that we might experience. But, but a few weeks ago, my neighbor was diagnosed with brain and lung cancer. Well, uh, on Friday, she called me up and we talked and she said, uh, can you come? Well, that had never happened. We had never had that kind of conversation. I didn't know anything like that. And so yesterday morning, the seminar is going on, and, and I thought, well, I need to be here. And then the Lord reminded me that sometimes we leave the 99 to go after the one. And so I went down to, to University Hospital yesterday, and I could talk about this for, for a while, but Richard was about ready to go into surgery. It was a major surgery. It was going to last 12 hours. And uh, it was going to be difficult. And because I, I, I'm nervous, I, I haven't had that kind of conversation. I don't know how I was going to approach it. And I'm praying all the way down. But I went in there, and it was just me and him. His wife had not come yet. She had been up late the night before, and so wasn't going to get there till about noon. And so we talked, and I shared. And it wasn't very long before we started to talk about death. And we talked about eternity. And I told him about Christ. And he reaffirmed his faith in Jesus. It's amazing for me, just such a sweet thing, but, and maybe a little thing to you, but as the doctors came in, it was amazing to hear this neighbor that I've uh, kind of just waved at for years say, uh, this is my pastor. He will never come to church. But because of our conversation, I'm sure of this. Someday he will be in heaven. It's a funny thing. Jesus doesn't exactly tell sinners to go to church. What I am sure is that he told the church to go to sinners. Fourthly, our preaching should be balanced and not one-sided. In verse 2, Paul outlines three goals of preaching. He says we are to correct, and that has to do with instruction. It has the appeal to the intellect. He he says to rebuke, and and I think that has to do with conviction. It, It has to do with the appeal to the conscience. And then we are to encourage 
That has to do with motivation. It has to do with our will. So as a preacher, I am charged with correcting mistaken concepts. And often that means that that those concepts are going to go against the grain of our culture and outlining what it is to live with a biblical worldview. And let's face it, when you are so inundated with a secular worldview, sometimes what you're going to hear from me is going to feel very odd. You're going to hear it and you're going to say, wait a minute, that's not the way I was thinking about it. It's not going to line up with the way you were thinking. But preaching should correct us. But I'll tell you something else, preaching should convict us. There are times when we ought to expect the pastor to say something that confronts us and allows us to see that the Holy Spirit is saying something to our spirit. And there are going to be those moments when we ought to expect that there's going to be a moment when the Holy Spirit says, I don't want my follower to live that way. I want you to live differently. And listen, if my preaching never challenges you, I want you to know you need to find a new preacher who will. You ought to expect to be convicted. You ought to expect to get corrected. It's a part of of, of what happens here. And yes, sometimes preaching should encourage us. It should motivate us. It, It should lift us up. You know, we, we get beat down by the world week after week, and we need to be reminded of God's love and the power and his, the difference he makes in our lives and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ in view of his appearing. But of course, some pastors, that's all they do. And to only preach a part of the gospel is to preach none of it. Paul declared to the Ephesians in Acts 20, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. See, I think we've got some great preachers today who are gifted, no doubt, but they preach one thing. And and sometimes I'm I'm always mesmerized by by finding out, you know, that, that preacher has about three sermons. And they'll lift you up, they'll make you laugh, they'll make you feel good. But what about sin? What about judgment? Finally, the preacher should be patient and not impulsive. In verse 2, he says, preach with great patience and careful instruction. And I'm just not going to go there. I'm not going to develop that. I'm going to say preaching does require patience. I'll say that. But preaching is important. And so is listening. Jesus said, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. And you might say to me, Pastor, I've listened to some dry sermons over the years. And I want you to know, I've preached to some dry congregations over the years. (laughs) One of the most uh, fascinating things, I guess, you know, because we have two services is, is how often I see this tangible difference between how one service, one group of people will react and receive the message versus an, the other service and how they react and receive the message. Last week is a perfect example. In the first service, I preached and I felt like 
the congregation was with me. You all, good job. And there was a, a, a good response at the altar, and I just sensed that God was moving, and, and the message was being received rightly. But the second service, and no one of those, I hope you're not here for the second service. <laughs> Man, you need to pray for those people. Uh, no, uh, the second service was completely different. Now, now it maybe had to do with the banging that was going on because of the wind in the background. And so people were kind of alert to, to what was going on and a little distracted. But they were just, you know, people getting up, running around. And people, uh, you know, it was just one of those services where I felt like, Lord, how long do I have to do this? Can I just exit right now? There are some times when I'm preaching, I just want to go away and hide. And that was one of those moments. And it's fascinating to me. It's amazing. You can have the same message, the same truth, the same music, the same corny jokes. But listen, a a good receptive audience can pick up the preacher and make the message more effective. You have as much to do with the effectiveness of the message preached as I do. You can pick up the sermon. And so I, I, I thought that I'd just give you a couple of practical advice, uh, practical things as advice for helping you help the preacher. And maybe sometimes you've, you, you better, you, you've got a, lot, a preacher who needs a lot of help. I understand that. First, I want to just say this. Be rested. Be rested. Sometimes nothing happens on Saturday or, or Sunday morning because too much happened on Saturday night. Okay. If we're uh, dragging ourselves out of bed because we were up so late and we just have this tendency to hit the snooze button again and again and we're thinking, oh, we're going to just shave time off, we'll be there late, but then it causes all kinds of consternation at home and then you're discussing this or arguing with your family or arguing with the kids. Listen, if you have that kind of attitude, that's what's going on day or week after week after week, you're not going to get anything out of these services. Because your mind, your heart is not prepared. You're not ready. Because this is the second thing I want you to know. When you come into this place, be hungry and expecting to hear from God. Be hungry for God's word. Paul Paul says there comes a time when there are going to be men who will not put up with sound doctrine. They're going to hear what their itching ears want to hear. But let's expect to hear from God. And that means I expect to be challenged. I expect to be rebuked. I expect to be corrected. I expect to be encouraged. And don't don't get upset when God's word challenges you to live differently. Listen, if you have a God who always agrees with you, you maybe don't know God at all. In Acts 17, it says the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. Listen to this. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Interesting. And so I challenge you. Work hard at listening. Work hard at listening. This is a challenge today in our society. Preaching seems outdated because, listen, all you're looking at for a half hour or so is me. All you hear is my voice, and I don't have one of these great tenor voices. Yet yet we're accustomed to all kinds of stimuli in our culture. 
We have those phones and multiple apps, and we are always tempted to go out and check, you know, Facebook and Twitter and and Snapchat and and all of these. In advertising, you know, the, the scene will change 38 times in a minute. That's the average ad. Sometimes... Sometimes, in order to get focused, maybe it would help you to, to take notes. Maybe, maybe taking a note or two would, would help you stay a little more focused. But listen, if I see you checking your phone or, or getting up, and you know what happens when people get up in this room. Every eye goes in that direction, including mine. And it, it disrupts the flow. It distracts me. You can help me. And that leads to this point. I think it's okay to affirm the preacher while he's preaching. Amen, amen. There you go, brother. (laughs) Tony Campolo, some of you remember him. He was an Italian preacher, and through a series of circumstances, he ended up preaching at a, a black church in Philadelphia, And he loved to preach to that community. He said, they affirm the preacher. While he was speaking, they might say, of course, amen, that's right, preach it, brother, all kinds of things, but they'd help him along. And if he was belaboring a point too long, he'd have a guy who'd say, okay, preacher, we got it, move on. (laughs) He said, uh, he said, in, 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 in the black church, if you aren't getting any feedback, you know you're bombing. You know it's not going well. And he said he'd have one of those moments. It was quiet, nothing happening, no response whatsoever. And a woman in the back finally raised both of her hands and said, help him, Jesus. Help him, Jesus. <laughs> and you probably had some of those moments when you felt like you could do that with me. Now, I'm not asking you to go that far, okay? I don't want to hear anyone say, help me Jesus today. That's not going to help. But a couple of weeks ago in one of the services, you started applauding for something I said, and I, it shocked me. I had that, had that happen in a long time, and I didn't quite know what to do. And I don't want to get to the point where I'm tre- trying to preach for applause lines, But I can tell you, your posture, your eye contact, your facial expression makes a difference. Even by your laughter, by your responsiveness to the message, come to the altar. Makes a huge difference. And by the way, it doesn't just make a difference for me. But imagine that visitor who comes in. If you're sitting five feet away from someone who's new to our church and you're checking out your phone or you're nodding off, what are you telling them about our church? But if you're engaged, excited, ready, that's contagious. So preaching is important. When God sent his son to the world, remember, he was a preacher. I can't help but wonder if someone today in this room is sensing God's call in their life to preach. Maybe this is your day to respond and say, yes, 
God makes it clear that through the preaching, he makes known the way of salvation. Maybe even this morning, the Holy Spirit has convicted someone to say, wow, I, I don't know him, but I want to. In view of his appearing, I want to receive Christ as my Savior and know that my sins are forgiven. So I want you to know that that invitation is offered to you today. Because in view of his appearing, we're going to keep on preaching the word. In view of his appearing, we're going to, to expect him to change lives. In view of his appearing, we're going to be found faithful to make him known and to know him better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you use the foolishness of a preacher to make a difference. I pray, Lord, this morning that our hearts would be attuned to allow your word to have authority in our lives. And that we as a congregation, as we think about scriptural engagement this weekend, would submit ourselves to your holy word. That again and again, Lord, we would be corrected, be rebuked, and be encouraged in our faith. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege I have year after year to have been able to preach from this pulpit. I do not take that responsibility lightly. And Lord, I'm sure I've failed in many ways over the years. But I also ask for grace that when we come together, we would see less and less of this preacher and more and more of the son who came to know us, to show us how to live, who died for us so that we could live forever. Lord, if there is a young person today or maybe someone who's a little bit older who is sensing a call on their life, I pray that, Lord, they would affirm that call and that, Lord, you would, you would open the path for them. I pray, Lord, for that person. Maybe that person is here right now who doesn't know you. But, Lord... They are open to saying yes to your gift of salvation. May they receive that gift today. And Lord, we pray for our neighbors. You told us to love them. We pray for our neighbors who are lost around us. And even when we don't realize it, Lord, they're looking at us and they're watching us. May we be ready for that season when they call on us. And may we be faithful to share the gospel. I pray this in Jesus' name.